The cross said it all. What a perfect musical message the week after Easter, isn't it? The cross said it all. Thank you, choir. You're not always here this Sunday right after Easter, so this is extra duty. Thank you for being willing to be here again and to lead us in worship today. What a wonderful reminder. And welcome to all of you to Easter Plus One. Last week we had nearly 3,000 folks who came through our doors in four services to celebrate the greatest moment in human history, the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it was a great day. And, uh, and the fact is that many of the folks who were with us uh, last week, we, we won't see them again until Christmas. And we will greet them with warmth and love when, when, they, uh, when they come back. But here's what happens every Easter. Some of those who visit for the first time, some say, boy, I want more of that. We were talking about second chances last week. Who doesn't need a second chance? And there were some who were here last week for the first time who said, I want a second chance. I want to come back and hear more about this God who brings dead things back to life. And so here you are this morning, some of you, who were here for the first time last week. And we just welcome you warmly. We're so glad that you decided to take a, a second shot to see what God is going to do. And you are joining us at the beginning of a, a very exciting time. So whether you are here every week or whether you are here for the second time or for the first time, especially to, the, to you visitors, you newcomers, we welcome you. Hope you'll come and have coffee with us right around the corner afterwards. And to make you feel particularly welcome, if you are a visitor here with us for the first or second time, in a moment I'm going to ask you to stand up. And if you would sing a song for us. We would... Would that... Would that make you feel warm? Okay, we're not, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Okay, we're not going to do that. Cindy, that's a bad idea. That was my wife's idea. But if, the, if you find the idea of singing in front of crowds terrifying, then you're going to appreciate this story. We had a, a group of five of our Chapel Hill folks who went to Portland last week. They were doing street work with uh, outreach, and outreach work with the students of Portland State University. That's some gutsy outreach, wasn't it? They actually called the theme Fearless. Fearless, indeed, right? And as part of their fearless experience, they decided to do a, a karaoke night. And so if you want to see Fearless, take a look at the leader of that karaoke experience right up here. Yes, I There's nothing. Woo. Tell me why I, I. There's nothing like the Backstreet Boys to bring us back from Easter, is there? Good job, Ellis. But listen, if you really believe the story of Easter, if you really believe that on Easter God raised his son from death to life, then you ought to be fearless, shouldn't you? Just like we saw in the disciples at the end of the gospel stories, right? Well, not exactly. In fact, let's take a look at this story at the end of the Gospels. Last week, for instance, we were in John. Remember the account of Peter and the others who go fishing? Well, just the chapter before that, the night of Easter, 
Easter night, resurrection night. This is what we read in the book of John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Wait a second, this is, this is after the resurrection. This is after Jesus has already appeared to Mary in the flesh. This is after Peter and John have already made their dash through the empty early morning streets of Jerusalem and discovered an an open tomb with the, the body of Christ gone. And yet now they're gathered that night and they've locked the doors because they are still in fear. Maybe John's a pessimist. He got older and he got a little grouchier maybe. So what does Matthew have to say about it? Well, listen to this. This is the very last paragraph of Matthew's gospel. After the resurrection, Jesus appears. And here's what we read. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Great. But some doubted. Wait! How can you doubt? You are looking at him. You are listening to him talk to you. How could you doubt that Jesus is alive? Your eyes give you the evidence of it. These are the guys that he's going to give the great commission to go into the world and and make disciples. Wow, really? Well, How about Mark? How does Mark portray these disciples near the end of the gospel? Well, we read that in Mark's gospel tells us the women left the tomb trembling And bewildered. And at first they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And when they do tell the disciples, this is what we read. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that Mary had sent him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Three out of four. Maybe Luke will come through for us. Finally, Luke tells us that when Jesus appeared, quote, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And when Jesus showed him his hands and feet, they still, read it with me, did not believe it. And these are the Jesus' hand-picked disciples. These are the guys he is counting on to carry on his work, to take his message around the world. How promising does this sound to us? This is the post-resurrection gang. They are a room full of terrified, unbelieving men. Not exactly fearless. And yet 30 years later, the gospel of Jesus Jesus had been taken around the whole known world. Even Caesar's household had believers in Jesus that could be found 30 years after this time. And 40 years after this, 40 years, all but one of the disciples, John, had died a martyr's death for their faith. Within 40 years, all but one of the disciples had died a martyr's death, and John died ultimately in exile. Simon Peter, Andrew, And Simon, the zealot, were all crucified. James was beheaded. Doubting Thomas was stabbed and burned alive. Philip was impaled by iron hooks and hung upside down to die. Matthew was pinned to the ground with spears. 
Bartholomew was flayed to death with a whip. James was thrown off of the temple precipice and crushed below. And the other Judas was beaten to death with sticks. All because they would not renounce their faith in the risen Christ. So here's my question for you this morning. How is it that 11 men described at the end of the Gospels as frightened, terrified, bewildered, startled, unbelieving, even after they had seen the risen Christ, how is it that they would find the courage to die for Jesus in some of the most horrific ways ever devised by humanity? What in the world happened to these men? Well, Dr. Luke wrote a second book to tell us. We know that he wrote a gospel. What is the name of that gospel? It's very good. <laughs> I mean, that's an even bigger softball than Jesus. I, I just knew you would get, I knew you'd get that one. But he wrote a, a second volume. Did you know that Luke is the first part of a two-volume work? What's the second work? Acts, the book of Acts, the book of Acts. Luke was a physician. He was a traveling companion with the Apostle Paul. He was a historian. Luke wrote the only history book that we have in the New Testament, the book of Acts. And in the first few verses of that book, we discover the secret that transformed these cowardly men in hiding into martyrs whose courageous testimony changed the world. And I want to tell you the first part of Luke's story this morning. And I want you to listen for that secret ingredient, will you? In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised and which I have spoken to you about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates set by my Father according to His authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when He had said this, He was taken up before their very eyes. taken up before their very eyes and a cloud covered him. A cloud, he disappeared into a cloud.
they stood looking intently into the sky as he was going up. And suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking up into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go to heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. This is a story from God's holy word, the book called Acts. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, would you speak to us now through these, your holy words, and may we experience the power of that same spirit upon our life, for we ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen. We don't know who Theophilus is. We think it might be a made-up name. It, it means God-lover. Theophilus, theos, theology. Remember phileo from last week? God-lover. And it might have been a high-ranking official who was not yet willing to come clean on the fact that he was interested in Jesus, but who was fascinated. And so Luke directs his writings to Theophilus. He, he first of all wrote the gospel, which, as he described here, was about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And now he finishes with the second volume that he, again, addresses to Theophilus. The, how it is that Jesus continued his work after he left the earth. And I ask you to listen for the secret power ingredients that transformed these cowardly post-gospel men into world changers who were willing to die for their faith. What is the secret ingredient that Luke mentions in this first few verses? The Holy Spirit. Of course, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Three times in the opening verses, Luke uh, mentions the Holy Spirit. In the 28 chapters of the, of the book of Luke... 18 of them explicitly mention the Holy Spirit, sometimes many times. And make no mistake about it, even in those chapters where the Spirit is not specifically mentioned, He is still the star of the show. Later on, when a title was added to Luke's writing, because he didn't originally title it, uh, it was named the Acts of the Apostles. But there are many who have argued that it really ought to be entitled the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because what we see in this book is how men and women who are empowered and encouraged by the Spirit of God were used to bring the gospel to a very antagonistic world. Is our world today any less antagonistic than it was back then? 
I was reading this last week of two young women, two young high school women in Fargo, North Dakota. They felt led by God to form a pro-life club in their high school. And the school forbade it because they considered the pro-life club too controversial. This month, our Supreme Court will be hearing arguments about the nature of marriage, the definition of marriage. And uh, those who hold to a biblical worldview of marriage are going to be described in the arguments by those who opposing it. They're going to be described uh, as opposing gay marriage because of animus. In other words, for hatred. We have hatred. How many of you have heard of the campus ministry InterVarsity? Any of you? InterVarsity is a venerable uh, ministry that has worked on hundreds and hundreds of universities and colleges across the country and around the world. InterVarsity recently, this last year, was de-recognized by the state of California in all of the California state institutions. Why? Because InterVarsity requires that its student leaders be Christians. And that is considered to be discriminatory. A Christian organization cannot require that its leaders be followers of Christ. Yeah, I know. How crazy can it be? Open Doors, a group that advocates for the persecuted Christian reports that in 2013 there were 2,123 confirmed killings of Christians for their faith, which was double the number of the year before. Many consider these numbers, however, to be woefully underreported. Some estimates are that 7,000 to 8,000 people lost their life last year because of their witness for Christ. And the Catholic Church declares that it is over 100,000 who have lost their life because of their proclamation of faith in Jesus. In other words, it is more dangerous to be a Christian today than it was in the time of Nero. Is our world any less antagonistic? Even in the United States, it is becoming riskier and costlier to be a follower of Christ. Over this last year, we have been talking with passion and with focus of what it means to be a disciple and a disciple maker for Jesus Christ, right? And it has been very exciting to see the response of this congregation. Many of you are excited. Many of you are stimulated by this. I'm hearing stories of people who are for the first time praying about an opportunity to just share their love of Christ when when it arises. And they have done so. You have done so. This is exciting. But not everyone is as stimulated as most of us are. One blue card that I saw said, you are talking too much about discipleship. I guarantee that that will be the response of some of your friends and family if you decide to actually obey the great commission of Jesus. If you view that as more than a suggestion, if you decide to do more than just memorize it but actually obey him and do it, there will be times when that feels costly and risky to you. If you seek to make disciples as Christ has called all of his followers to do, it will set you at odds with some in your family, some of your friends. It will be risky. It may be intimidating, just like the disciples at the end of the gospel. But here's the good news for you. You have something that the disciples at the end of the gospel did not have. 
Or should I say you have someone that the disciples did not have. And they could not have as long as Jesus was with them. Now this is where it gets a little thick. But you're smart people. Buckle up your pew belts and, and, and follow along with me on, on this. This is what Jesus meant in John chapter 16 when he said, I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Now the disciples heard that and they must have said, are you crazy? We hear that and you say, how could that possibly be the case? In other words, Jesus was saying, it is better for you, you are better off without me. How could we be better off without Jesus? What was he talking about? What was he talking about? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus. He said, it is better for you if I'm gone. Why? Because then I'm going to send the Spirit. When Jesus was on earth, he was trapped in human form. You understand that, right? It was one of the, it's the nature of the incarnation that when the eternal Son of God left eternity, left his perfect relationship with the Father and came to earth and took on human form, he was trapped in that body. This human form walked and lived and ate and slept and labored with humanity. And it was this human form that suffered and died on the cross for our sins. Now, there's no doubt, he did some pretty remarkable things with that human form. He walked on water. He changed water into wine. He performed miracles. He raised up from the dead. Still, the very nature of the incarnation was that it trapped God the Son into a human form. He was limited, self-limited, which meant that if Jesus were here, then he could not at the same time be over here. That's omnipresence. God the Father can do that. God the Spirit can do that. But God the Son, the flesh, could not do that. It meant that if Jesus wanted to be with this disciple then that disciple over there who would like to be with Jesus couldn't be with him unless he did this. Or neither of them if he was off doing something else. It was the limits uh, that were placed upon him because he took on human form. And this worked fine while the disciples had Jesus with them. But in his great commission, Jesus said, Now I'm going to send you out into all the world. I'm going to scatter you to the winds. And you're going to go out into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And we heard that same call repeated in Luke's version of it today, didn't we? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Every disciple who died a martyr's death, and all but one did, died in a different part of the world. One died in Greece, another died in India, another died in Turkey, and so forth. They were scattered around the world when they died. Now, Jesus had promised them when he sent them out into the world, he said, And lo, surely, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. So did Jesus keep his word? When Peter was crucified upside down in Rome, was Jesus with him? When Philip was impaled and hung upside down by iron spikes in Turkey, was Jesus with him? When Thomas was martyred in India, was Jesus with him or not? It would not have been possible if Jesus were still in human form. But there was a plan. There was a plan all along. Jesus would return to heaven and then he would send his Holy Spirit. And the Spirit 
come and he could be everywhere at the same time. It is the nature of the Spirit to be able to do that. The Spirit who was not only with the disciples, but living inside of every disciple. This is what Jesus meant when he said, you're better off without me. Why? Because after I have sent my Spirit, I will be with every one of you all of the time, everywhere, forever. Yeah, that is pretty good. And it's not like this idea of the Holy Spirit was an innovation of Jesus. We, do you know the first time the Holy Spirit appears in the Bible? We think it's a New Testament. You know what the first time the Holy Spirit appears in the Bible? Genesis 1, verse 2. You can't hardly get much earlier in the Bible than that. Genesis 1, verse 2. And the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep. The Holy Spirit appears from the outset and throughout the Old Testament we see the Holy Spirit appearing again and again. Here's what was different though. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and then the Holy Spirit would leave. The Holy Spirit would descend for a time and then the Holy Spirit would be withdrawn. The Holy Spirit would be with God's people for a season and then the Holy Spirit would pull back again. So you were never sure whether the Holy Spirit would make an appearance. Ah, but... The prophets foretold of another day. The prophets foretold of a day when God would send his spirit upon his people and his spirit would never leave again. Joel, who was speaking for God, wrote these words, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those last days and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, that time had come. God was ready to send His Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, upon His people, and He would never leave them again. And this is the story of Acts. It is the record of the Holy Spirit who came as promised, who fortified fearful and broken disciples and turned them loose to change the world. And here's the most exciting news of all. Acts is also a description of what the Holy Spirit wants to do through every single one of us. When we receive Jesus Christ into our hearts, into our our lives as Lord and Savior, when we ask Him into our hearts, what do we think is happening there? A little miniature man suddenly takes up residence in some tiny little room? No! When we say that, what we're saying is we are inviting the Spirit of Jesus to take residence within us. We have invited the all-powerful, all-eternal, always-present Holy Spirit of Jesus to live inside our lives. The Holy Spirit is a who, not a what. We need to learn that. The Holy Spirit is a he, not a thing. A he, not an it. He is a personal, relational expression of God who lives inside of every believer. When our sins are washed away, Holy Spirit does that. When we are adopted to be children of the Father, Holy Spirit does that. When we are given gifts so that we can do ministry in this world, it is the Holy Spirit who doles out those gifts. If we only knew the power that lives within us, we would be emboldened to do everything that Jesus commands us to do. For the last 90 days, we journeyed through the Gospels, right? We journeyed through the Gospels, taught reading a chapter every day, and we learned about Jesus. How many of you participated at least some part of the 90-day challenge, the last 90-day challenge? Look at that. Awesome. 
Do you think you know more if you did this? Do you think you now know more about Jesus than you did 90 days ago? Yes or no? I bet you do. Well, for the next 90 days, we're going to learn more about the mysterious member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And we're going to help you. So we have prepared this journal for you. And if you will look on the left-hand side of your pew and pass them down, you'll find these journals. Now, we have extras, but you people seem to be journal hogs because come second service last time, they were all gone. So let me ask you this time, just take one for yourself, would you? Take one for yourself, pass it down, and leave something for your poor second service brothers and sisters, would you? I want to keep going while you're passing those out. So we have 90-day challenge part two. The acts of the Holy Spirit is what we're calling it. And I want to warn you right now, these are going to be, this is going to be different. Um, in the first 90-day challenge, we ask you to read one chapter a day. That's a lot of reading, isn't it? And that was great. It was an overview, but it was a lot of material. So for this 90-day challenge, we're going to do something different. We're asking you to slow down and go deeper. And so every week we're going to look at one chapter. One chapter. It will be perfect if you're in a life group. You don't have to guess which ones you should work on. Every week, one chapter, okay? And in, what we're hoping to do is, um, as I said, this is going to take you a little deeper, is to introduce you to some other spiritual disciplines besides just reading the Bible. So over the week, we are going to guide you through a process of study that will allow you to engage in some of these spiritual disciplines. And we have very cleverly entitled each of those days, we've, we've, we represent them by the word spirit, S-P-I-R-I-T. So here's what it will look like. On Monday, you're going to study. You're going to study. You're going to read it. You're going to read it in several different translations, perhaps, and, and read your commentaries. On Tuesday, you're going to have, we're going to read a parallel. P is parallel. We have spent 90 days learning what Jesus taught us. Now we're going to take you back to the passage where Jesus taught about the things that we see the disciples doing. So we're going to go back and remind ourselves, refresh ourselves of the teaching of Jesus on Tuesday. On Wednesday, we're going to ask you to quiet. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. Uh, we're going to teach you how to read some of, the, how to pray some of the text. And we're going to encourage us to do something that is crazy in this world. Take five minutes of silence that day just to listen to what the Holy Spirit is trying to say. I know this is freaking some of you out. You can't be five seconds of silence, but this is what we're going to invite you to do. On Thursday, we're going to ruminate. We're going to take one verse that we're suggesting in the journal, ask you to memorize it. You've seen your team memorizing Scripture. We felt like this is a, a discipline we wanted to put into our lives. We invite you to join us in that. We're going to ask you to memorize one little verse of Scripture and ruminate on it, repeat it throughout the day a few times and begin to bury it into your heart. S-P-I-R, I, we're going to ask you to initiate on Friday. What are you going to do with what the Spirit has been teaching you? Surely God is teaching you something if you spent a week studying this part of His Word. What is He telling you to do and what are you going to do about it? And then T is the floating day. T is talk. We invite you to speak to one person, talk to one person about what you are learning from the Holy Spirit as you are studying His Word. So this is your challenge. As I said, this is going to take us a little bit deeper. Every Monday I'm going to post a blog. 
So you'll have a chance. It'll only be once a week, but <clears throat> we will post a blog every Monday, and I will share my insights into the chapter for that week. Hopefully it will be an assistance to you as you are, are studying. And then for this first week, for this first week only, we're going to send a daily email, a brief one, just to kind of remind you of what we're doing that day. Urge you to pull this out and to give you some tips on how we can begin to experiment with some of these new disciplines that we are about. If you take this seriously, we will introduce you to a new core set of spiritual disciplines. Reading and memorizing and praying the text and reflecting on God's Word and acting in obedience to what you hear the Spirit telling you to do. And I hope you'll give it a try. And if it sounds a little overwhelming for you, that's okay. Back off. Start by reading. Start by studying it. Do something. But jump in and see what God might do as we actually begin to take seriously the fact that the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us and wants to do something with us in our obedience. And then each Sunday following, there will be a sermon based on what we have studied together as the church. And you get to come and see what we feel like the Lord has laid upon our hearts. How does that sound to you? You willing to give it a try? All right. All right. It's exciting. I I was blessed by the way that our reading of the Gospels transformed us as a church. My hope is that this will be a next step forward for us as a congregation. And that the Holy Spirit will really find that what a remarkable combination it would be. Presbyterians who take the Holy Spirit seriously. That will be a a powerful group to draw to. You know, the funniest part of today's reading, for me, the funniest part is when the disciples are standing there, you know, watching, and the angels show up next to them and say, um, what are you doing just standing there looking into the skies? In other words, you know what they're saying? You got, get to work, get back to Jerusalem, wait for the Spirit. You got work to do, so get on with it. Don't just stand there gawking. There is a sense in which Christians today love to gawk at Jesus. Isn't that true? We love to watch the latest DVD. We love to listen to the latest Christian song. We love to go to to seminars and conferences. And oh, we love to gawk, gawk, gawk. We spend 90 days learning what it means to follow Jesus and make disciples. That's enough time gawking. It's time for us to work. It's time for us to do. And the exciting news of the Acts is this. The Holy Spirit has already come upon you. And given you power to be his witnesses in Gig Harbor, in Pierce County, in Washington State, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. So, stop gawking and let's get to work. Okay? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. So, Holy Spirit, we we, uh, declare that what we know to be true, you are already in our midst But we ask you to do what the Apostle Paul said one time. Keep be filling. Keep on being filled by the Holy Spirit. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, fill us to overflowing. That we might have the courage to do what you call us to do. The sensitivity to recognize your voice. The will to obey. Holy Spirit, we are yours. And may we stand strong in an antagonistic world as we present the only hope of the world. The risen Jesus, the Savior of all humankind. We thank you for what you're going to do because we will meet you in these coming weeks and months. And we are excited to see it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Before the benediction, I'd want to remind you, I'll ask our prayer team to please come forward. Uh, there will, uh, if you are new to us, please come and meet us. We would love to shake your hand and find out a little bit about, more about our visitors. So right around the corner, you'll find a little niche in there, and that's where we'd like to... Uh, like I said, we're going to actually be right out there. <laughs> right out there. This is why we surround myself with lots of young people that can help me remember things. So right back there. So come and, and join us. That will be uh, wonderful. And then let me just make it as clear as I know how. This next step... We're hoping for a thousand people from, who are members of our church to go through Next Step. We think it's that important. It's been that revolutionary for us. So I hope you'll be a part of the beta group that will go into the gathering place, grab a bite to eat, and then listen to the material that we think is going to revolutionize the way we do disciple making in the years to come. And finally, if you would like to, this is the first time we've ever offered a one-class membership opportunity. It will be after the second service. Come back and join us for that. We're expecting a good crowd today, and we hope that you will be a part of it. Whew. Other than that, we didn't do a single new thing today. We thought we'd start off easy after Easter, just kind of ease into the rest of the year. Listen, it's exciting. Why not jump right in? The Holy Spirit is at work, right? So let's raise our hands up and receive the blessing of that same Spirit. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His perfect peace both now and forevermore. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all of God's Spirit-filled, Spirit-anointed, Spirit-empowered people said... Amen.